Hello and welcome to this episode of PhD Addicted to Research. My name is Carl and I have just finished my PhD at the Ditchens Department at King's College London. So today I am joined by Chloe, who is a first year PhD student at the University of Bath, and Dan, who is a final year PhD student at the University of East London. Chloe, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure thing. So yeah, I'm a first year PhD student and my research is focusing on looking at the relationships between cannabis use, tobacco use and mental health and trying to disentangle the two as best we can. Thanks, Chloe. And Dan? Hi, everyone. So my name's Dan. I'm a final year PhD student at the University of East London, as Carol said, and I'm currently writing my thesis on the the exploration of molecular mechanisms of alcohol addiction using the fruit fly. Dan, every time you say that, I, I, it makes me feel a little bit anxious. I'm still not sure I understand what it is. Oh no, don't say that. <laughs> I haven't been able to explain my PhD in the whole time that I've known you in the last three years. <laughs> you probably have, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I grasp it, but sounds extremely important. <laughs> Thank you, and thanks for joining me today. Um, so today, we are going to be talking about securing funding during your PhD. Again, this makes me a little bit anxious because I think there's always this idea about whenever you secure PhD funding to start your research, that that's it. No more funding applications. You don't need to beg for any more money. Um, but of course, there are opportunities that pop up along the way that we may need to secure funding for. But just for anybody listening along, um, as I said, this is about securing funding during your PhD. If you're interested to know about our experiences and any details on how to secure funding um, to conduct a PhD, check out our other podcast, Funding Your PhD. So then, let's just get started. Um, so developing a funding portfolio over the course of your um, PhD might be something that you could find particularly um, valuable. So. Of course, there's going to be grants available to PhD students that help them to conduct research activities and the likes. But before we actually get started on what these might look like, I was wondering if one of you wanted to just give our listeners a brief overview of what might you need to secure funding for during your PhD? Yeah, so I think I'll take that one since I'm at the end of my PhD. I think it would be unfair to allow (laughs) Chloe to do that being at the beginning. So throughout your PhD, there's going to be lots of things that you're going to encounter whereby you might not have the funds available in order to to do them. For example, you might want to go to an academic conference that's in another country or in the other parts of the country that you are living in. So you would need to travel, you would need to pay for accommodation, you would need to pay to attend the conference in the first place. And I think that's probably one of the most common things that a PhD student is going to come across when wanting to have additional funding for their research. Of course, you might want to go to um, collaborate in another host institution. So you might want to go to another university to work. Again, who who is going to pay for this? You might have to pay for um, research costs um, to use the facilities of that host institution. You might have to travel again. You might have to stay over. So there's lots of different ways in which you encounter costs throughout your PhD. Um, But of course, there's also other ways in which you might not have the skill set needed to complete your PhD project, so you might have to undergo training. All of this kind of stuff costs money, um, and research 
funding within host institutions is often tight. Everybody is uh, competing for the same pot of money. So if you can go out yourself and secure your own pot of money, it makes you a um, very successful in that you can accomplish what you want to off of your own back. But be also investable. If the university or future employers can see that you're able to fund yourself and almost be self-sufficient and sustainable, it makes you very attractive in future employers' eyes. Um, so that's a whistle-stop whirlwind tour, uh, Carol. But I hope that our listeners will sort of appreciate that there's, you know, many reasons that you might need to um, obtain extra PhD funding. That was really, yeah, a really detailed answer there, Dan. Thank you for that. I think that was really helpful for our listeners. Um, and you mentioned something that I found particularly interesting. You said that being able to secure funding and, and how that's important um, within your academic career and how it can be um, attractive uh, to potential employers down the line. Um, was that something that you knew from the get-go? So was that something that was quite apparent to you whenever you started your PhD, Dan? Or did you realise um, during the course of your PhD that actually it's a good idea to try and secure pots of money? Um, being very honest, um, I didn't know that this was something that I was going to have to do. And I'll pass on to Chloe in a minute and I'm sure she can give us a, a naive uh, green perspective being in her first year. <laughs> but no, I didn't know that this was something that I was going to have to do. And it was only whilst being in the same research environment as peers who are more experienced than I was, that I realised that this was something that I had to get to grips with relatively quickly. And whilst it's daunting to think, oh my God, I have to be self-sufficient and bring in some sort of income for myself, it's actually okay. As we will go on to explain, I'm sure, there is lots of different sources and pockets of money that make um, obtaining some research costs and um, some funding um, available to you quite easy and there's also lots of resources um, out there that help you to go about applying for this because you have to fill in an application form you often have to get evidence as to say why you would be a good candidate to receive the money and all of this kind of stuff so don't be too put off if you've just tuned in and um, you're a little bit nervous right now but Chloe what do you think do you know right now or did you know before that we started recording this podcast that you have to go out and find your own pocket of money <laughs> So luckily I knew in advance of the podcast or that would be quite <laughs> quite the shock <laughs> mid-recording. Um, but yes, it's definitely only something I've become aware of probably more in the past few months where I've been in this environment where it's um, academic research at slightly higher levels. So I think it's something you get introduced to as part of being an undergrad, as like a master's student, that your supervisors and maybe people in the department are applying for big grant applications fully to fund um for example, big clinical trials or big research projects. But this idea of during your PhD, putting in those little bits of kind of extra pots of money, that's I don't think you hear much about before you really start. Um, so I'd be interested to hear about all the different tips and tricks today for sure. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Chloe. Dan, you, you touched on a number of activities that you might want to get involved in that you would need extra funding for. So you mentioned conferences um, and travel um so to, to attend those conferences or even to visit labs one thing that comes to my mind that i that i imagine some of the listeners in probably in the early stages chloe like you are or, or even before that um just just wonder well whenever you secure phd money to conduct your research why are your funders do your funders not cover for you to attend conferences or for training that you might need to do i think it's not always apparent what a funder will cover and what they won't cover 
So how do we go about finding out who covers what and what really are you entitled to? So this is a big question. Uh, and I think it will be different for every person who is listening to us, who is already embarked on the PhD journey. So I think it's important to reflect quickly upon our previous podcast episode, Funding Your PhD, that there are different types of person um, and how they are funded for during their PhD. So you might be fully funded, so fully supported by a host institution, your employer, a charity or trust. You might be partially funded, so you have um, half of your PhD covered, for example, and the other half is uh, funded by yourself. Or you might be self-funded entirely, whereby you are paying for your own PhD um, experience. So, of course, if you're if you're uh, self-funded, you're not going to have any support necessarily unless your host institution has some uh, pockets of money whereby they will agree to pay for X amount of conferences per year or they might be able to pay for travel. Um, if you're partially funded, it will be in your contract as to whether you are entitled to any uh, money again. It depends on whether you are externally funded from your institution or internally funded. Um, and of course, I think this is the key thing is when you apply for a PhD uh, funding, um, this will be laid out for you very clear in black and white terms, what you can and can't have access to. Um, just to say that if it's not in your contract at the beginning and there's there's no additional training costs given to you, for example, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't apply for any more uh, within that institution that's funded you. It's just that it's not available to you at the beginning. And the age old thing is if you're not sure of the rules, just ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I can just add a, a little personal touch to that for, for my PhD, um, alongside it, I had uh, some project costs that were made available to me. So a small pot of money that I can feel off every every year to attend conferences um, to pay for uh, research costs that might pop up along the way to help me conduct my research. Um, because for me, Dan, it was very much like you, you be during your PhD, you became aware that it's actually really important to pull in external pots of money as well um, to show that you can. So whenever I wanted to attend a conference or I needed funding for something, I always kept my available resources as a plan B. So I would have um, I would have made sure that I tried to find funding from an external source before I then uh resort it back to using the funding that was made available for me. And I think this this worked in a way that it made me then go outside of my comfort zone. So I knew that that money was available to me if I needed it. Um, but ideally, I was going to try and pull in money from somewhere else. Um, so at the end of doing my PhD, then I've got a list of uh, different grants that I've been able to pull in. Of course, only small little grants. Some of them are £200, right up to £1,000, £2,000. Some of them are more substantial. Um, but I always made sure that I tried to find money from somewhere else um, before using my, my PhD funds. So for for anyone who's uh, trying to secure some extra uh, funding and, and bits of money to attend conferences and the like, where do you start? So um, is there any particular resource that you would like to recommend to anybody for this is a go-to place to find out about funding or would you go to supervisors? What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I mean... Definitely supervisors is a, good, is a good place to start. Supervisors and people in your department that may be more experienced or along their PhD journey than you are. Um, because just like uh, yourself, they will be trying to secure extra pots of money all the time as well. So it's important to sh uh, share these resources. Um, somewhere that I've always uh, been 
um, successful with is looking at charities and trusts um, and charities and trusts in a sense of they are often filtered through societies okay so um, different societies fund different areas of research so we are all funded by the society for the study of addiction for example it is a society but it is ultimately a charity the charity's aims are to you know progress the understanding of addiction um, so if you are working in the addiction field and you want to do something that is going to aid the progression of understanding of addiction because you want to attend a certain conference or have certain training to do your research they're most likely going to be interested in giving you some pots of money in order to do that um, and whilst I'm not saying send begging letters out to these charities and societies they're often advertised because they want to help um, they want to help researchers um, so I mentioned one there, the Society for the Study of Addiction. I also approached the British Pharmacological Society. Um, and depending on what area of training or conference area that I go to, I will approach different people for different things. And um, you could also um, look at different research councils. Um, whilst research councils are normally for massive pots of money to fund really big projects, they sometimes have travel grants or... Um, PhD um, bursaries whereby they will allow you to do a certain piece of training or collaborate with somebody else to exchange ideas or um, all of this kind of stuff. So that's great. What about you, Chloe? Similarly, kind of a what I found very useful is a big old database of charities and trusts. Um, so I think it's called the Alternative Guide to Funding Your PhD. Um, and it kind of brings all of these different ones together. So if maybe if you're just new in your field and you haven't had a chance to, to really sit down and speak about funding with your supervisor yet, it can be a really good kind of base to launch your search for where there might be small pots of funding available. I think it's got search functions on the main page. So you, you can even filter by area of research that you work in. Um, but also what what can help you to find a small pot of funding for something is if there's a specific uh, goal or task you have in mind from that pot of funding. So, for example, things like doing a bit of public engagement or lived experience work, there's often a little pot of funding available for that. Um, or if I think you mentioned it just there as well, if you're setting up a new collaborative activity, so maybe you're bringing two research departments together that weren't previously working together on kind of a, a cross departmental piece of work um, that also gets funded as well um, and if you are part of a research council one of the really nice things for PhD students is that if there's a piece of training that you identify that your whole cohort might benefit from sometimes big research councils fund people to come in and offer training to a group of PhD students um, so not only can you benefit your own research but often you can um, help peers in your department as well which is a obviously always a nice thing to do. That's a great resource, Chloe. Um, huge database full of different funding opportunities sounds exactly uh, uh, like something I probably sh should have known about um, <laughs> before before now. Uh, but within my department, actually, we it was an idea that one of the PhD students had um, was for every little pots of money that each of us was aware of to put it into a spreadsheet so that we developed our own little database that we could share among everybody and everybody updated it whenever they became aware of um, a new funding source, which was really helpful because quite often, there, there's always there's always some people within your cohort of PhD students who's great at securing money and they know all the funding opportunities that's available out there, um, and that's a go-to person that everybody that everybody asks. Well, do you have any recommendations of where I could look for money? So it's it's really helpful to have something put together that you can see, um, you can see what your options are, I guess. Do you think it's helpful to um, 
to speak with your supervisor about this. So I'm just thinking of somebody who somebody who may want to attend a conference and they're not quite sure what's available to them. Do you think their supervisor could be a useful resource to um, to use at that stage? Yeah, so I I think your supervisor should be um, a great means of of um, discussing uh, things that are going on within your PhD or if you've got any questions or worries or qualms. Um, and whilst your supervisor might not necessarily have up to date this grant is active or this travel bursary is available right now, they will often have ideas of where you could start looking. Um, or more importantly, your supervisor might actually have some funds available that they can give to you. Um, often within universities, there are funds that are allocated to different supervisory teams or different departments um, that are that are there to be used for where and how they see fit. So if you want to do something and it's seen as being a... Um, of common benefit for everybody within the department. So if you go away to a, do a training course and learn a certain piece of software, you could say, well, I'll go. And when I come back, I'll put it into a document and therefore everybody can use that document. Then you're probably going to get something out of it. And I think that's important to note, uh, Carol, because we haven't touched on that yet. It's all very well and good asking for all of this money, but it's what you say you're going to do with it. Do they just randomly give you out money and just assume you've done it? Often when you've um, been awarded a travel bursary, for example, to go to a conference, you will often have to write up a small, maybe 250 word um, paragraph to say what you got out of that experience and how it's going to help um, whatever you endeavour to go out and uh, do at the conference. So if you said, I want to go to uh, the conference on addiction, um, what are you going to get out of that? So you could say you networked, you saw this talk, which was really good. It gave you some inspiration to go back to your to your group and do this study, all of this kind of stuff. And I think that's um, something that I touched upon uh, asking the department for money. If you can show that somebody else is going to benefit from it, um, that's often a key thing to securing funding as well, is what is the funder going to get out of you being funded? It can't just be a holiday or a day out to go and meet some friends for lunch or something like this. There has to be some common reward. And I think that's really important to note. You know, I think that's spot on. I know in, in my experience, um, um, if I wanted to attend a, um, a conference and I wanted to get some money f- money from it and contacting the organizers they do want something in return you know they quite often if you're going to to do a talk or you're going to host a workshop or a symposium or um present an oral paper i'm not quite sure what a poster presentation i think that's quite different but if you're going to um if you're going to facilitate a talk quite often they will they will pick you up they'll pay for your expenses they'll cover your conference fees they'll pay for your travel um, to make sure that that you can attend and that you're that you're there um also, um, I've had experience as well of helping at a conference. So if you can't secure money um, to actually uh, to, to fund and just attend the conference as an attendee, it may be worth reaching out to the conference organisers to say, look, I can't find any means of funding me to attend this conference. I really want to go. Is there any opportunities to help? Um, and by that way, by volunteering and giving your service and helping them to facilitate workshops or whatever it might be um, and the running of the conference, they pay for you to be there. It's always worth bearing that in mind as well because it's not always advertised. Sometimes if you don't ask, you don't get. (laughs) 
Okay, so I'm delighted to say that we're joined by Dr. Katie East, who is going to share her experience of securing additional pots of funding over the course of her PhD. But before we get stuck in, Katie, would you mind introducing yourselves and telling the viewers a little bit about yourself? Uh, hi, uh, yeah, so thanks, Carol, for uh, having me. Um, so I'm Katie East. Um, I'm doing my postdoc at the University of Waterloo in Canada. And before that, I did my PhD at King's College London. Um, and yeah, my work basically just looks at uh, vaping among young people um, and smoking as well and harm perceptions, social norms um, and factors that influence vaping. Brilliant. Thanks, Katie. So, of course, we have known each other for a few years. Uh, we sat side by side at uh, the Addictions Department at King's while we were completing our PhDs, although you were a year ahead of me, of course. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so as soon as we decided that we were going to host um, a podcast on securing additional funding during um, your PhD, you sprung to my mind because you've got an impressive track record of securing um, little pots of money and additional small grants and that type of thing. So for everyone listening, can you just give us um, an example of some of these uh, pots of money that you've been able to secure over the course of your PhD? Yeah, I mean, I looked at my CV before this. <laughs> before this podcast and I was like okay yeah but I mean there's a lot that it seems like there are a lot but there are actually a lot of repeated ones so I got quite a few pots of money from uh, King's College London's graduate school conference fund for a few years um, and then I got a couple of pots of money from a charity called the Guarantors of Brain um, who have a travel grant um, so yeah basically I just kept applying for the same pots of money every time I wanted to go to a conference and uh, some of them came through. Brilliant yeah um, a lot of success stories in there Katie. Um, so for you how important was it for you to secure these pots of money was it something that you were aware of um, how important it was from the outset of your PhD or was it something that kind of became an interest to you as you progressed throughout your PhD studies? Mm. Well, so when I started my PhD, I remember asking my supervisor, like, what's a conference? What do you do? Uh, <laughs> and she was like, oh, you know, you do this, you speak to people. It's really great for networking. And I was like, OK, I want to go to one of those. Um, so I, yeah, I just applied for some funding. I think the first conference I went to was actually the SSA uh, annual meeting in 2016, I think. And yeah, it was really great just to yeah, meet lots of new people. Um, yeah, that was the main thing for me, was just meeting meeting lots of people. I mean, some of my close friends now are probably people that I only get to meet like once or twice a year at conferences. Um, and I definitely don't think I'd have enjoyed the PhD as much if I hadn't had met them. Obviously, it is about more than that. It's about, you know, disseminating your work and everything and um, learning all about all the kind of cutting edge research that's going on, because that's often where you get to see research first is at conferences um you know by the time publications have come out they're already out of date really um so yeah great really fun great opportunity um yeah and it was definitely important to me in terms of the social aspect largely uh, so for example as well with my current postdoc um I don't think I would have secured that position if I hadn't been to conferences um because I met my current manager at a conference in San Francisco, uh, oh no, in Baltimore, sorry. And then again, I met him a year later in San Francisco, um, where I discussed, you know, career opportunities and stuff. So pretty important to where I am now as well. It's really interesting you say that, Katie, because during the um, 
during the the podcast episode we spoke a lot about how you know securing funding to attend conferences it's not just about going and and engaging in those talks but it's almost you know it's important to to network and make sure that you're expanding your opportunities for potential collaborations that might happen post phd um mm-hmm. so why it's particularly important to to then have these opportunities um during that crucial stage of your career um, so how did you become aware of the different funding that may have been available to you over the course of your PhD? Well, so in the first place, I had some really, really great like mentors um, during my PhD. So, you know, my supervisors um, kind of sent me funding opportunities that they saw and, you know, helped write like letters of support and checked all my applications and things like that. Um, so they were, yeah, they were really great. Um, and then at King's, we also had a mentoring scheme where you get like assigned a mentor um so i think i had like three during my phd but all of them had applied for pots of money before so that's where i found out about like the guarantors of brain one and the ssa traveling scholarship was because my mentors had got them before so they kind of pointed them out to me um told me to go for it um yeah uh, and then also with conferences i found that if some conferences have their own travel grants to support um phd students to attend and there, there have been a couple where i haven't seen on their website that they've had funding opportunities but if you just drop them an email they were like oh yeah you can volunteer and your registration fee can be waived that's happened to me in a couple of instances not all but um yeah so it's, it's worth checking um that you know helping put up posters or like give out badges or something and then you get the registration fee waived which um helps Mm, so that's a good tip. It's not necessarily always going to be advertised um, on their website or easy to find these opportunities, but it's worth dropping a line to the uh, event organiser to see if such opportunities are available. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a good point. Um, so you touched on what the funder may expect uh, of you in return, especially if you're helping to um, to run little aspects of the conference for them. Mm-hmm. Um but what about your other funding opportunities that you received? Uh, did the funders expect anything in return? Um, a few of them have wanted like a, a little report, um, which some funders put on their website, um, just basically saying, you know, what you've done, what you've learned from it. So the King's College ones and the SSA ones, I think, do that. The SSA one's actually really helpful because when I was applying, I looked on the website to see what other people had done before me. Um, so, yeah, um, that's... From my recollection, that's all that they have asked for is uh, like a little report, but yeah. Nothing too tedious. <laughs> no, nothing very strenuous. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. Um, so then I was wondering if you had any um, any tips that you would like to share of your experiences of being successful and having success um, for securing these pots of money. Any tips on how to, to write that good application and increase your chances of securing the money? <laughs> yeah, I guess just... Well, I would just say speak to people, like especially other PhD students or postdocs who have kind of been through the process before. Um, lots of people, I'm sure, like me included, would be happy to like share applications and to kind of have a look over applications because they've, they've been through it before as well. So yeah, speak to people. Yeah, use Google to look at to look at funding opportunities That's as well. That was what um, I, yeah, I found quite a few opportunities just through typing like, addiction conference funding into google yeah and i guess just like the hardest thing to decide for me was like deciding to apply because you know that it's going to be you know however many hours of work doing the application but then once you've actually decided to apply then definitely give it your all like get everyone to check it 
um yeah and the worst thing that can happen is that um that it gets rejected which you know is a normal part of academia anyway so I don't think there's any harm in applying for everything but that's just that was <laughs> a, that was going to be my next question any setbacks <laughs> any rejections along the way Keaton yeah so many rejections <laughs> I mean you obviously you only ever see the things that people get don't you um so yeah no so many rejections um but you know it's normal and then you do eventually get things that you know make it worth the rejections definitely I mean, I think the last rejection I got, I was just like, I'll have a day of mourning. Um, and then I got over it and then went back to work the next day. So, yeah, <laughs> um, but it was a sad day. But yeah, I mean, you can't take it personally. Like these things happen. Um, and the process of writing applications in itself is really, really helpful. And you get to meet loads of new people when you're like collaborating to help put stuff together. So I don't think it's ever anything wasted. And uh Whenever a funder rejects you, do you write them off or do you give them another go? Well, uh, no, I wouldn't write them off. It depends on their... Some people have different policies. So some funders say that, you know, you can apply again next year with the same idea. Some say that you can apply again next year, you know, but have to change the idea. And some people, some funders say that you can only apply like twice in your life for that particular scheme. So I think it depends on the funder. Um, Yeah, in terms of travel grants, I've definitely been rejected one year and then reapplied the next year and then got it but I can't say anything beyond travel grants in terms of that. It sounds like it's very much a keep going and you will hopefully be successful at some stage. Anyway. Yeah definitely just keep trying. <laughs> it, it is a lot of work I mean a lot of work goes into these applications but it sounds like even where there is a rejection you can manage to turn that around and it'll strengthen future applications along the way. Yeah yeah definitely um yeah, I mean, for some grant applications as well, you know, if it gets sent out to peer review, then you get all those peer review comments um, that you can kind of incorporate into your next application. So, you know, I don't think that there's any harm in, you know, you're only going to gain stuff from applying. Um, and I was wondering if you had any tips uh, for PhD students who might be listening, who are at, I guess, various different stages of their PhD, some of them who are in the thick of uh, maybe interested in trying to pull in little pots of money, or for even PhD students who've never considered this as something that might be beneficial to them? Um, yeah, I guess the same as what I said before, is just like speak to people. Um, yeah, I mean, again, the SSA website's got the list of people who have got the previous travel grants um, and little reports of what they have done with the money. So, um, you know, just reach out to people. Yeah. And if you're, you know, if you, if you want to apply, if you want to go to a conference, then apply for money to get you there. From my experience, it's always best to put in an abstract for a conference because you're more likely to get funding to go if you've had an abstract accepted, either as an oral presentation or as a poster. I mean, that's what I would do, was submit an abstract. If you get accepted, then look for funding opportunities and um, hopefully someone will uh, support you to go. Just take it one step at a time, really. Brilliant. Thanks, Katie. Um, And I'm sure all our listeners will find this super, super helpful. Um, So, yeah, thanks for joining us. So I have one final question and then we can uh, we can recap on anything that we want to touch on and add any final points. Um, but how to be successful. So any tips, tricks that you want to share to the listeners and how to strengthen that application and, uh, and to make sure that your application might be successful. And I think we kind of draw on that by offering your help at conferences. That's maybe how you could be successful in securing um, that pot of money. But any other ideas 
I find that sometimes these smaller funding applications are a bit like any job application. You could probably do it very quickly and you could probably submit a very kind of template application. But I think if you want to be successful, you really need to look behind um, the funder and what their values and what their core aims are. Because um, the reason that they're advertising that pot of funding is because they want the work that you're doing to align with the vision for their organisation. So I think as with any job application, and funding application, it's a good idea to, to go and do a little bit of research, see what it is that particular funding stream is looking to advance, see what it is that they hope to achieve out of that, and just try and get, not buzzwords necessarily, because it's it's quite likely that that's what your research is trying to achieve in a way, but to get some of those words in there that helps someone who's screening through quite a lot of funding applications to just go, yeah, so that's really aligning with what we want to do and what we want to, to be funding. Yeah, no, definitely. You definitely have to be applying to the right place. Um, you have to, um, you know, tick all of those boxes, so to speak. Um, as as we've already said, you know, whilst these societies and organisations have money to help you, they're not going to give it out for free if they don't necessarily think that you're going to be using the money in the the best possible way. Um, but it's important to remain realistic as well. If you're going to be given um, £250 to attend a, a conference um, for three days um, and travel there and back, don't say that when you return you're going to then perform this uh, massive research project as a result of them giving you £250 and listening to a certain talk because it's not going to happen. It's important to be realistic and say what's actually going to happen. So if you was attending a conference, you might say that you're going to benefit from networking and meeting um, X, Y and Z people that you know are going to be in attendance and you hope to be able to talk with them about your research or collaborate and all of this thing. And like you said, Chloe, it's important to to meet the organisation's aims and objectives. Um, we keep focusing on, well, I keep focusing on conferences, but as we said at the beginning, there's so many different reasons that you might want pots of money. Um, I've also been successful in um, asking um, charities for money for an open access publication. Why was that going to be of interest to the people that um, I was asking money for? Well, I was going to promote um, a piece of research that aligned with the aims and objectives of that organisation. Um, loads of tips and tricks in there. I think we've um, provided a lot of different resources. We've touched on our experiences and we have done quite rightly. We have said it's not all about conferences. Of course, that's one thing that you you probably will want to secure money for uh, during your PhD, but it's much wider than that. It's to give you an opportunity to travel, to develop your skills, to attend training courses, to get open access papers, which again is another important thing throughout your PhD. So I think we've covered quite a lot. Um, was there anything that we missed or anything you just wanted to, to, finish, or to say before we finish up? I think it can be good to bear in mind that there are lots of people that might be applying for the same pots of funding um, and it's good not to bank on it happening. So you might want to consider applying to a few different ones, but you might also want to have a, a kind of backup approach in mind that maybe doesn't require as much money or that or maybe any money at all. Um, maybe there's a really particular training course that you want to go on. Maybe it's like the best, everyone tells you to go on it, but maybe you can't get the funding to go on it. So you have to start thinking about online alternatives or workshops, or maybe your peers have been able to attend it. And as Dan said, they can share some notes from having been to that session. Um, so 
not only to you know definitely put in for these applications because the experience of applying is a very good experience but also to bear in mind that it's a good idea to have like a backup plan for how you might come at it from a different angle thanks chloe dan any final notes um yeah don't be too overwhelmed by the information that's been shared today um there is so much help out there and available to you um as i've already said supervisors are a key point here they will have applied for many grants big and small and will often be able to share maybe templates of um word documents for applications um you can speak to pgr colleagues you can have a look on the internet and whilst there is lots of scary and probably bad information out there as well, there are good websites. As Chloe's already mentioned, there's an alternative guide to PhD funding, which I know has um, advice on applying for pockets of money. Have a look on findaphd.com for information. And yeah, there's lots of help and advice out there to help you succeed. Nobody wants you to fail. Um, so don't be overwhelmed and daunted by the process. That is a great note to end on. Thanks, Chloe and Dan. And of course, thanks to our listeners for tuning in to this podcast. Um, That's all we have time for today. But be sure to click and subscribe to the PhD Addicted to Research podcast. See you next time. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.